Great, I'm going to jump right into the Word this morning. Um, I'm going to be speaking about something that is very, uh, I think it's very dear to the heart of Jesus, and it's something that is very significant and should be very significant for every single one of us. Uh, personally, this is one of the greatest values that I, I love about uh, what Jesus has given us, and, and it's, the, it's the gift of communion. And uh, it's really uh, the story of what Jesus has done on the cross and how he set us free. And so this morning, I'm going to take a bit of time to unpack that, the value, the purpose, the, the meaning behind it. And my prayer on this this morning is really quite simple, is that you would walk away from this time today going, wow, I, I have a greater sense of understanding. I have a greater sense of appreciation. And more importantly than that, is that you have a greater commitment to doing communion on a regular basis. I, I pray that this morning you would find freedom from some things that might have bound you in the past on communion, uh, find freedom in the revelation of what Jesus has actually meant it to be, uh, because unfortunately over the years there have been some things that have crept in, there's been some religious rituals that have crept in that have made it um, just a little more difficult for people to understand and comprehend the significance and the value of. So let's jump right in. Uh, I'm going to go... Uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 32, uh, reading out of the New International Version. And I'm going to read this portion of Scripture, and then we're going to uh, go from there into uh, a bit of an unpacking of the Scripture and what it means for us for today. So 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Most often, we, we stop right there. <laughs> because the next few verses are a little more difficult to get our heads around. And, and honestly, uh, as preachers, uh, it's something we, we, we take these hard verses sometimes and, man, it's not easy to preach on them. So sometimes we'll just stick to those parts that we know well. But I'm going in there. We're going in. Are we ready for this? Verse 27. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Suddenly, this seems to have taken a bit of a turn, doesn't it? Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. Wow, there's a lot in there that if we don't really grasp the heart of what's being said, what the writer is saying, we could really start to heap condemnation on ourselves, on one another, and live under all sorts of things which, honestly, Jesus never intended and the writers of the New Testament never intended. So let's unpack this a little bit. I want to start off, first of all, with an understanding that communion, as we know it today, was first done by Jesus in the upper room on the last night. It was, it's often known as the Last Supper as well. 
It was the last evening that the disciples were all together. He was together with his disciples, his friends. They were having a meal together. Uh, they didn't comprehend, but Jesus, in his foreknowledge, knew that this was it. This was his last supper with them on earth in, in the place that he was at before he was to be crucified. Uh, we know that he then, obviously, when uh, he came back uh, to life afterwards, he, he reappeared to them uh, before he was transfigured and, and went up into the clouds. But this was it. This was the final moment that he, in his 100% humanity, 100% God, the two in one, was there as a person, as a friend with him. And so he takes this moment and, and he does this. He, he, he shares the bread. He breaks the bread. He shares the cup with them. And he makes this statement. He says, do this often in remembrance of me. The thing about this communion and what Jesus was putting in place here, it was a radical shift in what was happening because Jesus was actually doing something that was built on the foundations of the Passover meal. And the Passover meal was what was celebrated many years before that when the Israelites were, were in Egypt and it was that final moment before they were to come out of Egypt, be released as slaves into the freedom where they went into the desert. And as we unpack that in the, the last couple of months, you'll have some recollection of that story. But in that moment, there was this, this promise of God that if they were to take the blood of that sacrificial lamb and put it on the doorposts, then that angel of death would pass over because the last plague that was coming over the Egyptians was the killing of the firstborn young boys. It was a horrible time, but at that moment in time, what was happening is God was saying, by the blood of that sacrificial lamb, you will be covered. And Jesus was building on the foundation of that, and he was saying, this is now the coming of the final sacrificial lamb. This is it. No more will there ever need to be another sacrifice for sin because from this day on, I will be the one and only, the final, the last sacrifice that you will ever need. And that's what he was instituting in that moment. The other thing that he did, which was quite unusual, is that Passover was celebrated once a year. But Jesus come and he comes along and he breaks that, that boundary and he says, do this often in remembrance of me. He breaks it. He says, no longer once a year. Do this often. How often is often? as often as you like it to be. <laughs> and when we get to see some of the value of this, we'll understand a bit more behind it. Let's take a look at, for a moment, the, the power of remembering. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So there's, there's two things that happen here. The first is there's a command. And, and he's saying, I want you to do this. And, and our responsibility towards the commands of Jesus is one, and one thing alone. It's obedience. It's in faith, it's obedience. And I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But let's have a look for a moment at this, this act of remembrance. What is it to remember? Isaiah 46 verse 9 through 10 in the NLT says, Remember the things I have done for you in the past. Remember the things I've done for you in the past, God says. I am God. There is no one like me. From the very beginning, I told what would happen long before it took place. I keep my word and I fulfill my promises. I know the end from the beginning. And, and he's, he's saying that, that actually it's important for you to remember the things I've done for you in the past. Why is that important? Well, when, when we remember, it does a whole bunch of things. It, you know, if we remember back to stories of family moments together, it stirs nostalgia, it stirs comfort, it stirs the joy of family. 
when we reflect on the, on the goodness of God in, in the gift of Jesus, when we reflect on the, the magnificence of God, let's just stop and pause for a moment. Who is this God? When we, when we think of him, we, we realize that he is sovereign. He is love. He is the alpha and the omega, the, the beginning and the end. He is, when we magnify him, he is far greater than any problem or any situation. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. Those are big words, but omniscient, I always remember with C, omniscient. He, he sees all. He knows all. Omnipotent is, is that word potent. He is all-powerful. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. That is the magnificence of this awesome God that we have as our Lord as our Savior in Jesus, as the Holy Spirit who comes alongside and comforts us. Remembering means to rehearse, to replay, to, to reconsider, to think about the things that have happened before. We think on His ways, on His miracles, on the incredible gift of who He is to us. That's what remembering is all about. And so when we take the, the bread and we take the juice or whatever else we have in the elements in front of us, um, what we do when we do that is we, we, in the very act of that, we remember. In our act of obedience, we remember. And communion reminds us of our absolute dependence on Jesus, our need for Him and everything of who we are and what He's done for us. And, and perhaps at this time, more than any other church, we need to remember this. We need to remember who He is in our lives, in our families in our homes together. Uh, Psalm 103, verse, verse 1 through 5 says, Praise the Lord, my soul. This is David speaking to himself. Remember, I, I love the statement that we're actually crazy if we don't speak to ourselves. This is what David does. This is so vital. Praise the Lord, my soul. My soul, praise the Lord. All my inmost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul. And here's the key. Forget not. What's another word for forget not? Remember. Remember all his benefits. Now, Jesus says, don't, don't just remember who I am and what I did for you. Remember the benefits of what I did for you. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. And who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Church family, I want to leave you with one little encouragement and challenge for the week. Take that scripture, Psalm 103, verse 1 to 5, and go and dwell on that. Think about it. Unpack those verses. And start to apply that in your remembering this week. That alone will change your life. Let's keep moving on. <laughs> Communion was never meant to be done as a ritual or a routine. And, and sadly, in, in many situations around the world today, communion is, has become, and, and I, don't, I don't believe it started out that way. The intent was never that way, but it has become a ritual. It's become a religious rite. And the, the sad thing about that is that when that happens, familiarity comes into the ritual, and we lose the significance of the power behind it. The ritual becomes the focus, not the person behind <laughs> who's Jesus. And so let's take a moment, and it's not just merely looking back at an event. It's not looking at making sure we get the liturgy right or, or anything else and, and, and making sure that we say the right words at the right time. It's not a somber thing. 
in, in many situations, I grew up in an environment where, where I was taught and I was told this is a very somber thing. It's a very sober thing. And I could never comprehend that or equate that in my mind because I thought, yeah, we're remembering Jesus' death, but his death had a purpose and his death was, was not permanent. His death was what freed up the keys to the kingdom and gave us life. I'm sorry, but isn't this a celebration? And church, my, my challenge to us and encouragement to us is communion is one of the greatest celebrations we will ever have on the face of this earth before heaven. The other thing about communion is when I mentioned obedience earlier, obedience is a very significant thing in the kingdom. Obedience is, is an absolute form of trust and faith. And it's easy to, to live with obedience, to live in submission when we agree. But when there's something that challenges our comfort levels or our, or our, our mindsets, then actually it becomes very different. And suddenly it takes a, a leap of faith to say, I'm going to step out in obedience. I look at water baptism as an example for me. Water baptism is not just a swim in the pool. But, but water baptism, if you think about it in the natural, what is it? It's just someone taking a hold of you, dunking you underwater, holding you down for a bit, lifting you up, and everyone celebrates. I mean, in the natural, what is that? And, and possibly to anyone looking in from the outside, like, that just seems crazy. <laughs> and in our natural mindsets, yeah, it probably is. But when we look at stepping out in obedience, we as believers know that there's something so significant that happens through that act of obedience, through going into the water, being baptized in water, and being raised to new life again. And whenever I've spoken to someone that's experienced that water baptism, and my own personal experience, there's something significant that happens and breaks off in that moment. It's a symbolic representation of the old man has died and the new creation has been born again. But that obedience, that faith opens the doors of our hearts to receive the fullness of the supernatural provision of heaven in our lives. Church, the supernatural provision of God is always there. I, I remember a friend once likened this to, to the, the power cord in our hands and a plug on the wall. The power is there. All we need to do is plug into that power to receive that power. That act of obedience in water baptism, that act of obedience in the laying on of hands and the anointing with oil in taking communion, that act of obedience is a, is a faith step that opens the doors of my heart that allows that plug to be plugged in and I suddenly tap into the supernatural provision of heaven and now I'm remembering all the benefits. I'm forgetting not, as the scripture says, that come with the body and the blood of Jesus. What a powerful, powerful thing. I, uh, my friends Daryl and Dell um, have shared a story in the life of the church before when, when they uh, had a communion moment and uh, Dell was not well in hospital. She was really ill and, uh, and there was a moment where they had opportunity with a few of us to share communion together and it was the most profound story of how God literally broke in in such power in that moment as they stepped out in the act of faith and obedience in thanking Jesus for what he did on the cross in anticipation of what they were yet to receive. It wasn't thanking him for what they'd already received. It was thanking him for what was yet to come through the finished work on the cross that he paid for over 2,000 years ago. And, and the testimony that came out of that was incredibly powerful of God's miraculous healing 
in Dell's life. What a powerful thing. I was in one of our life groups recently, and just a, a beautiful lady shared a story of how she had been going through some real challenges in her life and, and, and was dealing with some emotional things, and, and she, she made a decision to start taking communion regularly. Just that act of obedience. And, and it was such a powerful thing because the next thing she knew, she said, all I was experiencing was joy and happiness, and I felt like a little kid dancing. And she started to share the visions and the, these pictures that God was giving her. And she, as she was sitting there, we couldn't help but just laugh and smile with her because she was like a little kid that had just received the best candy in the world. It was a beautiful thing to see. That's the effect of communion. Oh, how powerful. How powerful. I'm going to just uh, talk through three quick things that, that I want to remind us of and, and focus on because Jesus made this statement in Luke 22, verse 20. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. In that moment, he ushered in, he declared, this is the, this is the start of the new covenant. This is it. This is the ushering in of the new covenant. The most profound moment outside of the birth of Jesus was this ushering in of the new covenant. The old has gone, the new has come. And, and there's three things, three key things, and this is by no means an exhaustive list, but three key things happened when Jesus' blood was shed on that cross. Number one, Jesus' blood did away with sin. So when we remember what Jesus did on the cross, this is it. These are the three I believe to be most important key things. Hebrews 9.26 says, He has appeared once for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus' blood did away with sin. Sin is no, it's not covered over, okay? It's not covered by the blood. It's washed away. It is no more. It doesn't exist anymore. That's what Jesus is saying. In fact, the good news version of the Bible says it has been removed. The Amplified said it is, it's been abolished. The NIV says, done away with. Sin, that old master, is gone forever. Here's what the, the message Bible calls this sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. He says, this is the final solution for sin. What a powerful statement. The second one is Jesus' blood paid for your and my eternal redemption. You and I were born a slave to sin, period. We might not have realized it, but thanks to Adam... We were born as sinful nature within us. And the moment we received the gift of Jesus and what he did, his salvation, his blood shed, his body broken on the cross, that moment, everything changed. And at that moment, guess what happened? We stepped into a place where no longer a slave to sin, but everything, everything changed that we were now a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, no longer a slave to sin, a, a saint, not a sinner saved by grace, a saint, no longer a sinner in terms of the noun, the label that says I have no hope to overcome sin. For the rest of our lives, we will deal with the effects and the ravages of sin, the verb, the doing, but we can always come back to that new creation that says I am founded, established, rooted in Christ, I am a new creation, I am no longer enslaved and bound by sin and that, friends, is good news right there. The third one I wanted to point out is Jesus' blood has brought us forgiveness and reconciliation with God. The scripture talks about how we've been separated 
from God. But, but actually what Jesus did on the cross, his blood, his body broken for us, that thing right there cut off that separation from God. It joined us never ever to be separated or, or irreconcilable with God again. From that moment onwards, everything changed. Ephesians 2.13 says that, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. How amazingly powerful. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. I want to go back to 1 Corinthians um, chapter 11. We're going to just, we, we don't have a lot of time to unpack this, but I, I wanted to look at, at that, that portion of Scripture. We, 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 look, we realized about um, eating and drinking in the, in the unworthy manner and what that was all about and, um, and about discerning the body of Christ. And this is why many are weak and sick. Uh, we read about God's uh, judgment and discipline and, and suddenly this whole thing of the gift of the body and the blood of Jesus takes a bit of a turn and we go, oh boy, what do we do with this? Church, let's take a moment, let's unpack this. What, what does it mean to judge ourselves? Uh, what, what is Jesus saying in that? And, and, I, and I think what the writer of um, 1 Corinthians uh, is saying is that really Jesus' death is a big deal. <laughs> what, what happened on the cross is a big deal. This is not a ritual. In fact, this is the very thing that addresses the rituals and, and the, the religious nature that communion has become in many ways. He's saying, no, 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 that's not what, what this was meant to be. It's a big deal. So take the time to reflect on the full nature, the true nature of what Jesus has done. Judge yourselves. Look at yourself and say, how am I relating to what this communion is all about? Am I truly understanding the fullness of what this means? That's how I judge myself in the context of communion. I want, to, I want to say this to you. If the significance of his death is news to you this morning, this is your chance to process it. This is your chance to process what Jesus has done for you. This is your chance to consider, to judge yourself, and to say, how do I relate to the gift of what Jesus has done? And time and opportunity to change the way you've thought of Jesus in the past, which is the, this act of repentance, which then realizes that we've been captivated in sin and we receive the good news. We receive the gift of being born again in Jesus and we are saved forevermore. That's good news, friends, right there. Amen. What is it? Uh, what about the Lord's discipline in this? What does that mean? The, the actual original uh, Greek word for, for discipline here, what it, what it really means and what it unpacks, it's not, it's not punishment, it's not judgment. It's actually the, the, the word that was used for training up a child in the way they should go. It was a positive discipling. And that's the root of that word discipline, is discipling. It's a positive enforcement of a new reality. And so when we think of the Lord's discipline, that's what He does with us, is He comes along and He trains us up to live better, to have greater revelation of the significance of what he's done. So when we read that, when we are judged by the Lord, he judges, and, and, and let's understand that judgment, we, we often look at that word judgment as judge and jury has been delivered. No, the judge evaluates. That's what the judge's job is. And the judge, God judges us. How are you doing? And then he disciples us through the process so that we can truly understand the fullness of this gift of communion. And then probably my greatest revelation of this at all is in verse 27, when it says that whoever drinks 
of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be, will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood. Church, I want to encourage us to say this, that that, that description of drinking in an unworthy manner has become so misunderstood and misquoted. And the simplicity, and, and it may even sound, sound oversimplified, but church, the truth of it is when we drink or eat of the bread in the cup in an unworthy manner, it's basically saying we are not receiving the fullness of what these symbols represent. We're not receiving the fullness of the body of Jesus. We're not receiving the, the fullness of the meaning of the blood of Jesus. We're not, there's an unworthiness because we haven't accepted the wholeness of this. And so that's why we judge ourselves so that we come in a worthy manner receiving the fullness. The truth of it is, is that it's sin, sin the verb has separated us from God. But when we are born again in new creations, we will never be separated from him again. So the best thing to do when we are in a place of, of despair or we've, been, uh, or we've sinned against God or whatever, the best thing we can do is not stay away from communion. That's not unworthiness. The best thing we can do is come straight into his arms to take communion with a repentant heart, an attitude that says, God, I, I want to move forward. I want to, I, please take hold of what this is that's captivated me and, and, and just I lay this at the cross and forgive me. I want to step into your reality of new creation. And that's coming to take communion in a worthy manner is receiving the fullness of what Jesus paid the price for, church. Wow. I want to wrap up with a bit of a story here quickly, and then we're going to break bread together. And uh, it's a story of the, the Jewish people way back in the day, and there was a, a concept known as the betrothal. And, and the betrothal was was uh, in, in our day and terms, it's what we might call the engagement. But it's a whole lot more than that. It's a, it's, a very, it's a very different situation. In our day and age today, in our culture, in our customs of our world, um, often people will just decide to move in together and they'll live together and decide if they're compatible and then say, you know what, hey, this is working. Uh, they might even have children beforehand and then they may never get married or they may decide okay, we've, we've tested the waters, so to speak, and let's get married. And uh, sadly for me, you're basing the entire nature of a relationship on the foundation of uncertainty. The Jewish way back in the day was this concept of betrothal, and it was an amazing story. See, what would happen is that um, often it would be arranged marriages. Now, now the, the husband and the wife did not have the they didn't have to marry the other person. They still had the choice. But there was this arranged marriage, and, and if they agreed, that the, if they felt that they, were, uh, they would be compatible with one another, and, and yes, we want to follow through with this marriage, what would happen is that the families would come together, and there would be a whole lot of backward and forward debate and discussion, and eventually there would be, a, uh, in our words today, a bride price that would be agreed on. And effectively what that was is that that was the husband or the husband's family and him that would pay a price to the father of the bride, and it was, it was generally a, a large sum of money. And uh, the key thing with this is this was not buying the bride. There, there's something amazing in the story that I'm coming to and, and what that was all about. And then the, the husband would then, at that moment, go away 
and they would not see each other for up to a year. And he would go to his father's house and he would go and he would prepare a room. He would build an extra room onto his father's house or something and he would prepare it for his bride. Does this sound a little bit familiar? Jesus says in John 14 that my father's house has many rooms and I am going there to prepare a place for you. Jesus uses the analogy of this story. And then what would happen is that sometime within that year, the, the, hi, the husband would then come back to take his bride with him once he had prepared the house for her. But he would, he would do it unannounced. Now, they would make a bit of noise because they, they wanted her to be as ready as possible. But if, if the bride was found to be not ready at that moment when the husband arrived, it was grounds for divorce. That betrothal was as good as a marriage contract at that point in time. And so the responsibility of the bride was to be ready at all times during the course of that year. Does this sound familiar? Jesus, the story of the, the virgins with the oil in their lamps. He says, be ready, I could come at any time. He's using this incredible analogy that was so true to who they were in the day. And anyway, that would happen and then the husband would come and he would take his, his wife-to-be and they would go, and then the marriage ceremony and the celebration would happen. And in that moment, two key things would happen. The husband would have the responsibility from that day on to lay down his life for his wife. He would, he would have to give his very life if her life were ever in danger. That was his responsibility. The wife's responsibility from that day on is that all she owned now became the possession of her husband's with the exception of one thing, and that was the veil that she wore on her wedding day. The veil she got to keep for the rest of their marriage. Let's go back to the bride price for a moment. The father would take the money that he had received for that bride price, and he would carefully weave and sew it into her veil. So the full amount of money that he had been given as this bride price, he would sew into her veil, so as she went into that marriage, she had that as a, as a backstop. If the marriage was terrible, if she needed to get away for whatever reason, that veil and that money was hers to leave with. But here's the kicker, and this is so profound. The ultimate form of sacrificial love that a wife could show her husband was to take her veil and give it to him and say, it is no longer mine, it's now yours. 100% completely committed, submitted, it is yours. And that mutual sacrificial act of love is what would happen in those days. What an amazing picture. And church, the thing about this is that Jesus is that one who he talks about, he is the husband and the church as his bride. And he says, I lay my life down. Jesus gave his all. Jesus still to this day gives his all. And what he asks of us is will we come not with just the little bit and holding back on the sum? Will we come and full trust to him and full faith and full honoring of him give us, give all of what is us to him? The veil with the money, the everything. Jesus gave his all. Will we give our all is the question that he has for us. And so church, today we're going to take communion together. I'm going to invite the team to come back up here and, and we're going to celebrate Jesus again together. If you've got your, your juice, uh, your bread, your crackers, whatever it might be that you have, um, won't you get that ready and we're going to just take a moment and break bread together.
I'm reminded again that communion right now is a great moment of celebration. We're, we're encouraged by Jesus to do this often in remembrance of him. And I want to encourage you, church, do this on your own at home. Do it with your family. There's no prescribed wine or bread that you have to use. You use what you have in front of you. That's what Jesus did. He happened to have wine and bread in front of him. It was a meal together with his friends. And so when you have a meal next together with your family on your own, when you are meeting together, do it. Do it daily, church. Do it twice a day. Do it however often you want. Come on up. Come on up, friends. We're going to break bread together here with you. The blood that is represented in this, in this cup, this, this juice of the covenant, this new covenant that was ushered in by Jesus, it, it paid for our freedom. It paid for our complete unhindered access and forgiveness from God. And, and the truth of a church, which is the most amazing celebration, is that this made us holy and acceptable to God from this day on forevermore. That's good news. So we, we take this cup today, and together we thank you, Jesus, for your blood shed on the cross. And we drink of this cup remembering not just what you did on the cross, but all of the benefits of what was accomplished. So together we drink. Amen. We take the, the bread or the cracker or the whatever you have in front of you today, and Jesus broke it. And he shared it with his disciples, his friends. And he said, take this and eat and do this often and do it in remembrance of me. <laughs> the scripture says that, that by his stripes we were healed. By the brokenness of his body we were healed. And so today we take the bread and we eat together and we celebrate Jesus and what he's done. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Let's join together in prayer. Can we do that? Del and Daryl, I'm going to invite you guys just to come forward. And um, just to wrap it up from here. But I'd love to just pray with us for a moment, church family. I also want to encourage you, if, you are, if you're joining with us today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is just a little of the story of how good he is. He died to give us a life. And I want to encourage you today to take the opportunity to respond. If you want to know more, if you want to give your life to Jesus, if you want to just step out in obedience and whatever it is you might need to do today, maybe you need to receive prayer, the laying on of hands, the anointing of oil. James 5 speaks of the elders laying their hands and anointing with oil. It's the ways of God that open our hearts to receive the fullness of what He brings. The Scriptures talk about how we, we are weak and we are sick because we don't tap into the fullness of what he's entrusted to us. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 11. And so if that's you today, take a moment, lay hands on someone alongside you. Take a moment. If you need to step out and be water baptized, let us know. We'd love to celebrate that with you. Whatever act of obedience you need to do today, church, take a step of faith. Take a leap. Jump in. 
God is good. He is absolutely good all the time. So Father, today I just want to thank you for the gift of your body and your blood. Your body broken for us. Your blood shed all over the cross. And and we receive the fullness of what that means for us today. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of your life as a complete sacrifice for us. And today, as you gave your all, and just as the bride of those days, we take off that veil in an act of faith and obedience, and we just say, God, we want to trust you with the entirety of our lives. We don't want to hold on to anything any longer that is not completely submitted to you and all of who you are. So today, we trust you, Jesus. We step out and we believe in your precious and amazing name. Together we said, Amen. Amen.